Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to GCSE English Revision Pod. It is the Unseen Pod Round 2. Round 2. Meaning, of course, that for the second time we are going to approach, uh, in theory, at least, a poem that you have never seen before. So, as with last week, we want you to do this slightly differently. We're going to we're not even going to give a bit of a context to the poem. Oh, it would be better nope, if they paused straight. right now. So, if you want to, if you want to experience the full unseen side of things, what you want to do right now? Pause this podcast. Go to the link in the bio where there are two handouts. One of them is an overview of how to answer an unseen question, and the second one is today's poem we will be working with. So, so you can get the full unseen experience. Download it read through, see what you think, and then start this up again, and, and we'll talk about it together. And on that note, what we've put on the handout with the question is a series of sub-questions that will help you with, um, um, structure your analysis. So right. use those to help you, and then check back with us in ten minutes when you've done that. And see if you agree. Okay, off you go. Press pause now. Now. Do it. Welcome back. We hope you did that. If you didn't, oh, God. Cheeky, cheeky. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, those of you who didn't do that. But anyway, let's crack into the poem. So, first thing we always do when we get an unseen poem in the exam. So, for for AQA students, like our students, this is, of course, um, English Literature Paper 2. The first thing I always like to do is look at the question. Important to start by looking at the question. Absolutely. the question reveals quite a lot about about the, the, the content of the poem, what the poem is about. So this question goes, how does W.H. Auden present the speaker's feelings of grief? Right, so as we said last week, don't miss out on that glaring open goal that the question gives you in being directed by. It tells you essentially what the poem's about. You are just looking for the signs and signifiers of that theme within the poem. Yeah, so this is a poem about mourning, about grief. So it's clearly about perhaps someone who died. And mm. someone's response to that. So before we do anything else, we're looking for imagery that shows this intense emotion of suffering, of loss. Do you want to start out by reading the poem? Yeah. I'm um, after the catastrophe be, yeah. of you reading I never Scottish be accent. To, to read a poem I mean, ever again. There's, there's no Scottish here, so it might be okay. So this poem is an unnamed poem by W.H. Auden, um, and it goes like this. Stop all the clocks, cut off the telephone, prevent the dog from barking with a juicy bone, silence the pianos with a muffled drum, bring out the coffin... Let the mourners come. Let aeroplanes circle, moaning overhead, scribbling on the sky the message, he is dead. Put crepe bows round the white necks of the public doves. Let the traffic policemen wear black cotton gloves. He was my north, my south, my east, my west, my working week and Sunday rest, my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Pour away the ocean and sweep up the wood. For nothing now can ever come to any good. 
just what we need. I thought I had a bad Friday. Yeah, (laughs) his Friday's far worse. Picked up the mood of uh, (laughs) of the day, but of uh, an amazing poem. Yeah, really really beautiful. Lots of um, lots of incredible imagery in there. So straight away, are you going to guide us through the the set of questions? Yeah. So once we've uh, before we even read the poem, we've read the question. We know it's about grief. We've now read the poem. The first things we establish is what's the overall tone of the poem I mean it's a fairly easy one isn't it it's obviously incredibly sad there's a huge sense of loss coming across in the poem which of course links to the idea of grief and a sort of I think you could say a hopeless tone. Yeah, and something that someone that the speaker um, clearly clearly loves. He clearly loves this man that has died. Yeah, um, and fans the... of mid '90s yeah. cinema will, of course, um, that recognise this poem. Yeah, of course. They, mm. yeah. I think our students might be too, might be too young, perhaps. Um, and the title. I mean, there is in fact no title. So it's, it's it, you know, so we're, our normal question is what does the title suggest? But there is no title. It's an unnamed poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the basic level, what happens? So on a, on a basic level, it's a series of um, demands in the first half of the poem of what the speaker wants to, so that mm. he can mourn this person that's died. He wants to stop the clocks, cut off the telephone. He wants to be away from people. And he begins with these imperative forms. So he's demanding when you, in an imperative form is when you begin the sentence with a verb. Like You're jumping ahead to language and artists. Hold your horses. Oh, sorry, I'm getting, getting, you. getting excited. Back, hold sorry. that thought for one I minute. I will. I'll so, hold on. Um, uh, and then the second half of the poem, he talks about um, what this person meant to him. And, then, and the imagery becomes increasingly big, as well, something we'll talk about when we look at the structure of the poem. Yeah. Until he, he talks about how he wants the whole world, the whole universe to end. So on a basic level, therefore, it's a poem of mourning. Yeah. An individual saying what he wants to mourn, to say goodbye to this, this man that he clearly loved. So that's sort of question two dealt with. Remember, we've given you this kind of five-step plan towards answering any unseen poem. And that can be seen in lots of detail in the first handout from, uh, from today's yeah. podcast. So make sure you have got both. And as we said last week, this is not a structure for an essay. A bit like unlike the other ones where we've been giving you paragraph structures. These are questions to ask to help you then come up with a plan. So obviously, in an unseen exam, I'm probably going to write a really short introduction that's probably going to engage with the overall tone of the poem and what mm-hmm. happens. What's it saying about grief? So something like, um, in um, Auden's poem, the speaker is, we see a speaker who is defined by grief. It has a sombre and increasingly hyperbolic tone as the speaker comes to terms with their feelings about their dead friend or lover. Or grief has become absolute for this person. There is nothing outside of grief. That's a lovely way of putting it. So that's the introduction out of the way. Mm. And then what you need is a couple of paragraphs of analysis. Yeah where you look at how does he do this. So you might be analysing language, you might be analysing structure, you might be analysing a, a combination of the two. But I don't really want to give you a specific... No, the easiest way to do this is often to start at the beginning yeah. and work, work through your way poem. through. Absolutely. Um, so should we do that? Let's start at the beginning and look at the language and structure. So questions kind of three and four in your sheet. The language and structure of the poem. How does it begin? So now come to your imperatives point. So the, right. the poem begins with... We're, well, with four, with four lines in the first stanza that all begin with the imperative. They're, an imperative form, just to be clear, is when you begin your sentence with a verb and it's essentially when you're telling... Shut up! Oh, that's a yeah, classic example oh, sorry, of, a, of an imperative. It's <laughs> coincidentally useful. Um, so he's demanding that the clocks be stopped, cut off the telephone, prevent the dog from barking. And all of these imperatives build the same form that he wants... He almost wants the universe to be stopped. He wants noise to end. But more than that, he wants time to stop. He feels like the loss of this person. Grief is so absolute, as I said before, that he feels like everything must stop. Nothing can surely go on without this person. Yeah, and it engages with this, this with that kind of 
thing of mourning that you can feel isolated. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to talk to people on the telephone. He doesn't want to hear music. He doesn't want even time to pass. He simply wants the coffin to come and the mourners to come. So it's a, a desire maybe for the the, the finality that a, the funeral provides. And it becomes a sense that the whole world must represent the death. It's, it's so as that's if the second stanza, yeah. Yeah, moving, sorry, moving into that second stanza, it's the feeling that W.H. Auden creates, which is that nothing in the world should be doing anything else apart from marking the passage of this person. So, Aeroplanes are no longer for transport. They're to scribble out the sky with the message, he is dead. Um, doves become public and needed for only the the sort of um, the marking symbol of grief a symbol of grief and of course, yeah and the, the third one of course um, traffic policemen wearing black cotton gloves this is something that would happen as to mourn a monarch to mourn the death of a king or the death right. of a king of a queen so um, immediately this is suggesting that whilst this his friend or lover perhaps was not um, the king or the queen that his function for him in terms of his feelings mm. is as if he were yeah. It's important to him as if he, as if we were mourning the death of a king or queen. So this is, in a sense, if you were making that point about grief being an isolating factor, the way you can kind of make that point, I suppose, is that the speaker in the poem can't believe, in a sense, that life would go on. He can't get his head around the idea that life is continuing and therefore believes that somehow all life must come to an end. Yes. And, and, and not just come to an end, it's also kind of the, the, that strange position that perhaps we've all been in. When you're feeling an incredibly intense emotion, um, you feel like it's mad that not everyone around you feels that same way. Yeah. So the sense of his isolation is, is actually emphasised in the second stanza and the idea that actually, presumably we infer people are not doing this. Traffic policemen are not wearing black cotton gloves. There are no planes in the sky scribbling. He is dead. Mm. So this actually, I would say, adds to the isolation of the first stanza by, by emphasising that these things are precisely not happening. And a structural point you could make would be that the things in the first stanza, the imperatives in the first stanza, are things that the... Um, Possible. Yeah. The mundane, everyday the things. The speaker could realistically do those things if he wanted to, but then we move on to the second stanza and we see the things that he would like to happen because of the level of his grief, but of course they're, they're not possible. And I would say this, this, is a, this kind of might move me to my second paragraph, that structurally, actually, the imagery becomes increasingly hyperbolic as the poem goes on. What does hyperbolic mean? So it's spelled hyperbole, if you were like a American, but mm-hmm. um, hi, uh, um, hyperbole, sorry, um, is how it's, is it pronounced. Right. Uh, spelled, sorry. Okay, sorry, my brain's not working. <laughs> it is pronounced hyperbole. It is spelt hyperbole. Hyperbole. Um, and what it means is when you exaggerate something. Yeah. So for effect, you say something that... So, so for example, you policemen would not wear black cotton gloves to mourn someone unless mm. it was, of course, the monarch who had died. So this hyperbolic metaphor is suggesting that to the speaker, his friend or lover was, is as important as a king or a queen. Can you give a more everyday example of hyperbole? So, for example, if I had just taught uh, Year 11 class and they were lazy, I might say to them, you are the laziest class I've ever met. Mm. They're probably not. I've met some pretty lazy individuals in my, in my, in my time. Yeah. But I'm exaggerating to get across the fact that I don't think they're working hard. Right, so you make something sound greater than it actually is in order to make your point. Yeah. And I think we see this in the third stanza. Let's look at the metaphors now because the key, I think, to getting good analysis in the unseen is finding the most interesting metaphors and unpacking them. Find those metaphors. My favourite thing, metaphor hunt. Mm. So he was my north, my south, my east, my west. A very interesting metaphor here. Because it's suggesting, of course, if someone is your north, your south, or east, or west, they are the person that gives you direction. Yeah. And also the idea that without um, this uh, this individual, he is, he is directionless. Yeah. He has no purpose, no direction to move his life in. He's also my working week and my Sunday rest. So you'll notice from those first two lines that the person, what the metaphors are also implying, is that this person was everything 
to him because he encompassed him literally that's a good way of putting it mm. so if you, someone encompasses you it means like a compass all the points on the compass he, he encompassed him his life encompassed completely he's all around you he's all points of the compass and he's every day of the week to this speaker my noon, my midnight, my talk, my song. I thought that love would last forever. I was wrong. I mean, that's Cezura there. It's an interesting structural point, of course. Mm. That Cezura juxtaposes the hope that we have when we're in love yeah. with the brutal reality that death can, of course, come at any time and take someone away. And hints at why the grief is so extreme because the, the speaker, the belief that love would last forever. So... I mean, that, that takes us, I think, to the last stanza, which is the most hyperbolic of them all. Mm-hmm. The imagery moves to become explicitly apocalyptic. About the end of the world. About the end of the world. So he says, The stars are not wanted now. Put out every one. Pack up the moon and dismantle the sun. Right. Pack everything up. It sounds so everyday, though, yeah, this language. There's a juxtaposition between the everyday verbs that connote the, almost the idea of packing away um, someone who's died's uh, possessions. You, yeah. you might pack them out. You might dismantle their, their, their furniture. Put out the stars, and, dismantle. And yet, very everyday so things. So there's juxtaposition between these everyday verbs, these verbs that are associated with everyday activities of, 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 of the practical things you have to do when someone dies, um, contrasted with the apocalyptic imagery of, of it being the moon that he's packing up, the sun that he wants to dismantle, the stars that he wants to put out, um, which I think in many ways engages with the complicated nature of grief, that on the one hand you have this feeling that you want the universe to end, that time itself cannot go on, that the fabric of the universe has been ripped by this person who's gone from your life, but at the same time you're defined by these mundane activities, packing up their possessions, dealing with probate, moving on with your, with your mm, life. I suppose the point in relation to the question then is that grief is both huge and life-changing and earth-shattering in its nature but it's also in the little everyday things as well it kind of it takes over everything in in sort of every sense of the word really there's nothing left of this speaker apart from the grief that yeah he's defined by it and i think that brings me to a kind of a structural point here which is of course we typically talk about the mourning process being made up of about five stages denial and we can see um denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance so if we look at the first uh, denial to start with the, there is this sense of denial early on, early on in this poem cut stop the clocks cut, cut off the telephone hide like, from things. hide from things yeah um but then it's quickly moved it, it, and we could see this an anger implicit in the idea in this desire for please be wearing cotton gloves because of course the anger could be implied here through the idea that this is not happening so I mean I'm imagining our students might not know going into no. the unseen exam the five stages so, of grief necessarily no. but what they could say what's is missing that... from this poem is acceptance right there is no acceptance I think the point to make rather than going through all five stages what we could look at is how um the, the final stage in, in, in coming to terms with grief is often deemed to be acceptance. And right. what's interesting about this poem is there is no acceptance. It, gets the end of the, it ends with this, 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 this depression. Nothing can ever come to any good. But a simpler way of putting it, I suppose, would be the idea that grief takes you through a range of emotions. That's something you could yeah. realistically say from an unseen Definitely. perspective, that grief takes you through a sort of roller coaster of different ways of relating so to engaging grief. the complexities of yes grief. there you go that's the that's the one i'd say so we've been a bit a bit unstructured today sorry it's been a terrible friday but we're, mm. it's becoming better all the time by podcast we, we've fallen out with each other we're only we're, we're only uh, we're only held together by this podcast by this, this thin thread <laughs> holding us together right let's so, see if the next um, poem can cheer us up and send so, us home with a smile um, we've got a really happy but no we don't so this poem is called remember i actually love this poem by christina rossetti she's yeah. an absolute genius it's an awesome poem uh, and and the question says what are the similarities and differences in how the poets present grief mm-hmm. um, so this is a very famous poet poem and, and let's see what she's got to say do you want to read this one it's not in Scottish do you think I can redeem myself okay I'm, I'm going to go for it remember me when I am gone away gone far away into the silent land 
When you can no more hold me by the hand, nor I half turn to go, yet turning stay. Remember me when no more day by day you tell me of our future that you planned. Only remember me, you understand it will be late to counsel then or pray. Yet if you should forget me for a while and afterwards remember, do not grieve. For if the darkness and corruption leave a vestige of the thoughts that I once had, better by far you should forget and smile than you should remember and be sad. Beautifully Thanks. Sorry, that's very patronising. Um, uh, it's a great poem, isn't it? And I think what's interesting is actually there, there are some similarities and differences with how she's engaging with grief. So obviously, for our AQA students, when you come to this second part, the comparing the two unseen poems, you've only really got about 15 minutes left of the exam. Mm. So we're not talking a big essay. We're probably talking one comparative paragraph. Perhaps, perhaps two if you've got time. Yeah. But, um, you know, we're not talking much. So... Um, what where where can we start with this? I think what what's the so I think perhaps the first thing to start with is maybe looking at the metaphors to describe the effects of death. Absolutely. I mean, it, would would it be worth looking at the overview point that this is from the speaker? Yeah. I mean, let's start with that. Talk, talking about them dying rather than the person they've yeah. lost. So the, the difference, maybe the main difference. Let's start with the difference. The difference yeah. in the two poems is that whilst remember is from the perspective of a person who is about to die and is imagining the effects of their death on their loved ones. Yeah. It's almost a fantasy of death. What? How that we've all perhaps felt at times in our lives. What would happen to everyone around us if we died? Mm. Um, Auden's poem is the perspective of someone who is grieving a loved one. So in a way, they're in engaging with opposite perspectives of grief. One is imagining their family's grief if they were to die, or their lover's grief if they were to die. Um, the other one is, of course, seeing that exact grief. I suppose the speakers in the two poems could be talking about each other in theory, yeah. couldn't they? Yeah, I mean, they're not, because um, years separate them. Um, <laughs> it's a nice idea, though. Rosetta's been dead by the time all is right. But, um, but certainly, yeah, yeah, students don't know that's an unseen. So um, I think... I mean that that's a great point. So let's let's start by maybe looking at a point from remember that kind of that, that that sets this up. Yeah. Remember me when I'm gone away. Remember me when no more day by day. Um the the first eight lines of the poem engage with how she actually in death wants to be remembered. Yeah. That's the that's the tone at the beginning of and it's those in imperatives again. Uh she's asking no, she's demanding to be remembered, gone into the metaphorical silent land of death. So initially that tone very much matches the feeling of death that you will hold on to a lover after they've gone, right? Yeah. Or a, but, a loved one. But a really important structural point is, of course, that in the ninth line of the poem, this changes. Mm-hmm. Um, because she then, by the end of the poem, acknowledges that she better by far than you should forget and smile than that you should remember and be sad and of course you might have noticed um, dear listeners this poem is 14 lines long oh what could that mean what could that mean and if you look at our um, our, our sheet that helps you analyse this or our second our overview for analysing unseen poems you'll see that, that makes it of course a sonnet a sonnet and Petrarchan sonnets or sonnets traditionally would often be divided into an eight line section and a six line section mm-hmm. we call them the octet and the sestet and the ninth line we call the volta but even if you couldn't the mood changes, the mood changes. but yeah. even if you couldn't remember that in the exam what you definitely could say is that they're structurally in the ninth line there is this turning point in the poem and that would be I'd say straight away you're getting yourself five marks out of eight there if you say well um, in the um, in an unnamed poem we have this feeling that grief is constant, is almost unchanging in its nature. I mean, there's different aspects of grief explored, but it's unchanging in its severity and its completeness. Whereas in Remember by Christina Rossetti, we have a feeling of change in the poem. At well, some point, yeah, the mood she, changes. She explores two um, diametrically opposed views of grief. What does One, that mean? So diametrically means like complete opposites. I'll right. write it on the, on the handout. So she wants 
at once to be remembered. But then she says she wants to be forgotten. And the reason she says that she wants to be forgotten is because she says, better by far that you should forget and smile than that you should remember and be sad. So the conclusion of the poem is actually that she initially selfishly wants her lover to grieve her, as mm. in the human emotion, we want those that love to remember us. But actually, the, the poem ends, despite the title, with a suggestion that actually it is better to forget, yeah. better for her lover to forget than be made sad by, mem- by remembering their loss. I suppose then another point of comparison could be that you could talk that in... In uh, the first poem, grief has almost made the speaker selfish in the sense that they don't... They want the world to end. They want they the apocalypse. They want the world to stop. They want everything to become about the grief and to stop. Whereas in the second poem, what you see in that um, in that second part of it is actually a much more selfless take and on grief. I think that's our main comparison. So mm. all we'd have to do to finish this off is do a bit of AO2, a bit of analysis of yeah. Auden's poem to compare it with. So I think the best point of comparison here is the apocalyptic imagery that ends Auden's poem, the pack up the moon the stars are not wanted now put out everyone dismantle yeah. the sun I think that is the, perhaps the ultimate selfish f- f- version of love that, that because of his loss he wants the entire universe to end he feels right. that nothing can go on time should stop the, the stars should explode whereas actually remember by contrast Rossetti has this quite positive can I just jump in there and say I'm, I'm going to do all the boring structural points and leave you to say the actual intelligent things remember you can um, use things you've already used in the Definitely. In the first question, as part of your comparison. If they're relevant. Yes, but don't think, what you mustn't ever think is, oh, I said that in the last question, I can't say it again. If it's relevant, you can yeah. absolutely use it again. You could even do the same analysis yeah. again. Just got to make sure it's relevant to the question, because they do try to have the questions, uh, there, there, there are questions, there's, there's something that's not entirely related. But good. If good, it's relevant. Good skill, though, I think, to have in, the, or good little piece of knowledge to have yeah. in, in the back of the so, mind. So really, if I'm writing this in 15 minutes, I'm probably going to write run, one really detailed paragraph that looks at... Um, uh, grief as perhaps something that is quite selfish. Maybe selfish is the wrong word, but something that certainly that that is self-involved, that mm. draws you into yourself and makes you forget the rest of the world. Yeah. Whereas uh, uh, in Rossetti's poem, by contrast, we're seeing um, a, a speaker imagining um, that grief and not wanting it, yeah. rejecting that, saying that actually, if you truly love me, actually perhaps it might be better for you to forget me. And I suppose that for from an AO2 perspective, it's the contrast between the concept of forgetting and smile and remembering and be sad. It's the comparison of those two yeah. ideas, the juxtaposition. In those of, final two lines. In those final two lines. That's where they can really get into the um, into the AO2, would yeah, you say? definitely. And I'd also come back to the, 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 the title, that actually, it's oh, by the end of the poem, she subverts, she undermines the very title. It's a poem called Remember. But the conclusion is that she wants, perhaps, to be, to be forgotten, forgotten. If that's better. If that's better for the person she leaves behind. And it's, it's a poem that's often read at funerals. It's a, a, well, both of them are, in fact, often read at funerals. So, yeah. oh, that happy, happy note. Yeah, I think that's about that, it, isn't it? I want, like, something or, or ironic at my funeral. I want something to make people feel uncomfortable. Maybe, like, a bit of, like, Bee Gees, staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> I mean, that would, I'll, I'll remember that if you're if, yeah, if you're um, tragically die, if you're to kick the bucket in the in the meantime. Well, I think we need to stop talking about death. Yeah, I think it's it's been a horrible Friday. We've talked about death loads. I think it's pretty much time to wrap this up. Um, follow us on Twitter at G Revision Pod. Email us at EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com Let us know how you're getting on. Let us know what you'd like us to. Look at we are we are slowly working through. We're struggling a bit with life, aren't we? But we're uh, we're slowly getting, getting through these uh, these topics. And we hope you all have a wonderful weekend.